This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza Media podcast about all things in print. I am Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, Star Wars Action News, Marvelicious Toys, and sometimes Books and Nachos, here again with Jacob. Yep, this is Jacob, and I am striking again. Hopefully it goes better than that Dark Knight Strikes again that we talked about last week, but here I am again to talk about some more Batman comics. And as we are continuing our look at Batman movies over at Now Playing, we surprised listeners with a review of Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And in watching it, Jacob, when we were doing that review, you kept saying how much it was inspired by Batman Year One and Batman Year Two. And, you know, I enjoyed Mask of the Phantasm well enough that I really wanted to see where it went. I had never read Year One or Year Two. But especially the year one stuff you were calling out in Mask of the Phantasm with Bruce Wayne training to be Batman. I'm like, that sounds like a really interesting story. I'd like to give it a read. It's another Frank Miller work. I really enjoyed The Dark Knight Returns. So I'm reading these both year one and year two for the first time here. And I've read Batman Year One before. I read this one years and years after having read comics. Again, it wasn't until probably the last 12 years that the graphic novel, the trade paperback, has become a big deal. And after Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, which we'll get to eventually, Batman Year One became a big thing because a lot of that, just like Mask of the Phantasm, has homages to Batman Year One. And so DC, they put out a nice hardcover version of it. It was actually recolored. And so I finally picked it up and read it. And we'll we'll talk about it. Year Two, though, I read lots of comic book bloggers' opinions of Year Two. So I've stayed away for it. But Arnie, you finally got me to read it for this podcast. A number of things struck me about both Year One and Year Two. Year One, I mentioned, was written by Frank Miller. And he's did Dark Knight Returns one year prior. I had thought this was going to be another graphic novel, limited run series like Dark Knight, but this is actually just four issues of the actual Batman comic. This is canonical. Yeah, this came out during the regular Batman series. Now, what had happened, and DC continuity gets tricky. If you follow comics right now, about a year ago, they just decided to reboot the entire DC universe. Everything's number one again. Because they have all these characters and different versions of the same characters from all these different eras. I mean, there's a version of Batman that was married to Catwoman. and They have Batgirl as their daughter from like the 40s or 50s. It gets messy. So every 10, 15 years, they try to do some big crossover event. They try to consolidate all these different versions and say, here's the definitive one. So they had just had one of those. It's called Crisis on Infinite Earths where there's all these DC universes and they kind of got rid of them and said, okay, here's our one universe. So they, unlike today, where they rebooted everything with a number one, they rebooted a lot of the characters, but they didn't create new issues. They just kept the numbering going. You had John Byrne come up with Superman, Man of Steel, where he gave Superman a new origin. And Frank Miller is brought on board to kind of give this new definitive origin story for Batman with Batman Year One. So he was not a regular writer for Batman. He was just brought in for these four issues. Yeah, just brought in to do this story. I mean, when Batman 
The Dark Knight Returns came out. He was a name. He had done Wolverine. He had done Daredevil. He had done an epic run on Daredevil. David Mazzuccelli, who does the art for Batman Year One, he had worked with him. Frank Miller had worked with him on Daredevil. And so they brought him because Frank Miller sells comics. Well, it worked for getting me to read this. <laughs> what really shocked me in reading this was that it's called Batman Year One, but it's very much an origin of the Batman universe. It's the creating of the scenarios that I've known, again, since that 1960s TV series. And it has Commissioner Gordon, not yet a commissioner. He's just Lieutenant Gordon. And I'm surprised over how much of the four issues really focus on Gordon as much as on Batman. That's one of the things that really shocked me when I first read this. I had heard about Batman Year One. It's this great story. You got to read it. I finally get around to read it. And yeah, there's a lot of Gordon in this. This is, I, I would say, probably 50-50 almost with Gordon and Bruce Wayne. It's really a story about their relationship. You know, Batman always had to have an inside person to the police department so he's not hunted all the time. And that's what he's doing here. He needs that one person with the police department, that one ally, so he could wage this war on crime. And that's what this story is. It's, it's about a friendship, basically. And I like that Bruce Wayne comes back. He's been training. He's been wanting to fight crime. And it's over the course of the story that he discovers he needs that ally. And I was reminded of The Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan film, because he initially finds it in Harvey Dent, who, before he was Two-Face, was an upstanding D.A., yeah, you see, Nolan really was inspired by this. You see a lot of those elements, and we'll talk about that when we get to the films. But yeah, he, you first see him team up with Harvey Denton here. That's kind of his end. Lieutenant Gordon isn't a big fan of Batman. He, he's kind of against him. He's trying to shoot him early on in this story. But Batman keeps working with Denton throughout to try to get to Gordon. And Gordon is a good cop in a force of corrupt cops. And he won't take the payola. They try to haze him and beat the crap out of him and he's just trying to be a good cop and i found his story to be far more relatable and far more i guess inspiring and familiar than the bruce wayne story that goes through here bruce wayne he's kept very much at a distance which i guess is a smart thing to do with batman he's not a very talkative character and such so we get to see him go out on fights we get to see him train we get to see him injured but the person who has the emotional story that we connect to is Gordon for at least much of the comics. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Bruce Wayne or Batman is that he's always Batman. When he's being sociable, it's an act. It's not like Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Both of those characters, either the, the regular guy, Peter Parker, or Spider-Man, they have their interesting stories. You have the superhero stuff and you have the life drama. This is a playboy millionaire that doesn't really care about being in a bunch of hot supermodels unless it's to cover up a story, you know? In the comic, he goes out to fight crime early on, gets beat up really bad, flies over to Switzerland to go skiing, so he has a cover story. Like, Batman is Batman. There's no Bruce Wayne. And so I think you're right to really give us that Lieutenant Gordon story. It gives us that human drama. And you say Lieutenant Gordon, he's a good cop, but he's not necessarily a great person. I mean, there's a whole storyline in here about how he's committing adultery while his wife is pregnant with his son. That came out of real left field to me because for the first couple issues, he is portrayed as this good cop. And then... You see him introduced to his partner, who also appears to be another good cop, Sarah Essen, 
and the two of them are working together. They're trying to find out who Batman is, and you see him develop an attraction to her, and I'm thinking this is, you know, the temptation, but he's the good cop. He's the good father. His whole concern for several issues has been he doesn't want his son, and I'm surprised he's having a son. I figured it was going to be Barbara Batgirl Gordon, but he doesn't want his son to be raised in such a cruddy town as Gotham, and so when he cheats on his wife, I'm stunned. And again, I kind of go back to the Frank Miller stereotype here now, right? All these girls are basically sluts. It's a good man brought down by a bad woman. The interesting thing, though, I said that there's this Frank Miller Batman universe, and Batman Year One plays this funny role because it's part of the official Frank Miller Batman universe, but it's also official DC continuity, uh, whatever you could take that for what it's worth, it, it being so malleable. But it shocked me when I was going back, I read this first, and then I went back and read The Dark Knight for this podcast. Towards the end of that, when all hell breaks out in Gotham, Commissioner Gordon, or ex-Commissioner Gordon, because he's retired, is concerned for his wife, who he keeps calling Sarah. And as I was reading Batman Year One, I saw all these threads that I think Frank Miller did to set up this universe where the Dark Knight Returns makes more sense. Ah, so in the Dark Knight Returns universe, he split with his wife for Sarah, whereas here, after a while, he finally breaks it off. And then we do get some contrition. He confesses to his wife so that the other cops can't use it as blackmail. I'll be honest, I thought the whole way through she was put there by the cops to blackmail him. No, I I thought there was a genuine relationship there. I don't know how contrite he was because he's basically showing, look, we got pictures of you with this other woman. Do what we say or we're telling your wife. And that's when he kind of fesses up. It wasn't out of guilt. It was out, oh, damn, I got caught and they're going to use this to make me crooked and I'd rather be a good cop than a crooked cop. Yeah, true. But the good cop of him makes him confess and they even, you know, work it out. And it felt very real to me, you know, not every... Marriage that has infidelity ends in divorce. Look at so many politicians I could name. And so to see a wife that's hurt, but doesn't just go, oh, it's over, I'm walking away, it felt more realistic to me. In a superhero comic, that was a nice dose of reality. All the police stuff here feels very gritty, real world, you know, something you would see on a crime drama. It doesn't feel like a superhero universe. And I know, I believe in the 90s, they did a comic series called GCPD Central that just focused on the police department and the detectives and Commissioner Gordon. Like, there's tons of fans that are really into just that side of the Batman universe, into the Gotham police and and all the relationships and crooked cops and and all the dealings going on there. And you see that foundation being placed here in year one. As far as the Batman story goes, I found it to be fun to read his early stories, but it was far less engaging to me than the Gordon stuff. And I would never have suspected reading a Batman comic, I'd be more excited on Gordon's pages than Batman's. But I do like seeing him do the cover stories and his first night out where he just puts a fake scar on his face and as he's trying to decide he needs to strike fear and the bat crashes in which is something we saw in dark knight returns and that's where he decides he's going to dress like a bat i mean one of the things we talked about in batman 89 was batman just kind of shows up we get the death of the parents why is he dressing as a bat i don't know it's tim burton he likes crazy weird people why not have a bat and uh, I think for a long time in the Batman comics, you just had that original story. Parents get killed, he swears vengeance, a bat flies through the room, and that's kind of it. 
Here, much like The Dark Knight Returns, we're getting all that in-between-the-panel stuff. It's really getting fleshed out. Again, this obsession with his father. Yes, father. I shall strike fear. I mean, this hard-boiled, kind of goofy, but damn it. Frank Miller, I, I think he's just so sincere about it. I kind of just go with it. But you talk about his misogyny. He never talks about his dead mom here. It's always this, this pledge to his father, making oaths to his father to redeem his name and to swear this war on crime. And speaking of the misogyny, we also see the origin of Catwoman, a hooker. Yeah. And again, reading Dark Knight right before I go to Batman Year One, she was a madam. She ran an escort agency, and so I guess to him, this is her roots of why she ended up running an escort agency. She started out as a hooker. Although I'm not sure if she's a hooker or a dominatrix. Well, I mean, a dominatrix that gets paid to be a dominatrix is still a hooker. Depends on if they're sex. Perhaps. Perhaps we have to start another podcast to get into the <laughs> fine art of hooking. And <laughs> But yeah, the first time I read it, this is the plot line that seemed the most out of place, we get a Catwoman origin story. She's a hooker that hangs out with like a 13-year-old girl, Holly Robinson, who actually plays a role as Catwoman later on in Batman comics and took the role of Catwoman over for a while. It is a character that reappears, but she's a hooker. They see Batman fight, and she's like, yeah, I should be like him and dress up as a cat and get revenge on my pimps or something like i never really get this catwoman storyline and it feels very unfulfilled because we've got the very tight story of gordon the fun story of batman and then you get yeah she's dressing up like a cat and just decided stealing is better than hooking and she's got these claws and it is in a way like batman's first supervillain but by the same token she's upset because the things she does batman gets credit for i did find amusement in that like she's like an anti-hero like they later on they'll have a relationship and i kind of like seeing those roots but there's no payoff if you don't follow batman comics there's no payoff for catwoman here it's just here's another character who slashes a guy's face but really doesn't play a role you could take her storyline out and I don't think it has any effect here. I mean, we talk about how there's some fun fight scenes with Batman. I, I think it's a great scene is he gets tracked down into this abandoned building and the cops are after him. They're firebombing this place. They're shooting at him. And I feel this is where we finally really get Batman as we know him. He's outsmarting him. He's using stealth. He's using his money. He has a little built in sensor that brings all the bats to that part of town so he could get away under the cloud of bats. There's not a whole lot of, I, I think, Batman-centric fights going on here. He doesn't really have one villain. It's just he's starting his war on crime. But I, this is kind of like his central action piece, and I really enjoy it. I did like it. I think I probably would have liked it more, honestly. The art was kind of off-putting to me. Oh, Arnie. Uh, I just, I'm not a fan again of this kind of style of art that I was seeing. Now, I had a old trade paperback, bought used, it looked like old comics to me with just dot printing and things, and the scenes just didn't seem too dynamic. There's a scene where Batman's trying to save a cat, and it comes off almost comical. I'd almost expect it to end with him trying to sell me some Twinkies. Again, I read this from a hardcover edition where they actually redid the coloring. When they first did this, I believe print comics could only do 64 colors. It was another painted comic, but it was limited by the print at that time. So when they redid this edition, they recolored it. I like the coloring. It's very moody, a lot of 
grays and browns and, and reds. It, it just has that gritty feel. What I like, I guess, about the art here is Batman, he's not the huge muscular Hulk that we saw in Miller's Dark Knight Returns. He's slender. He's athletic. He, he just looks very dynamic to me. I'm, I'm surprised you find this to be kind of middle of the road comic book art. It really stands out to me. Mazzuccelli, he's done some original work just a few years ago, came out with Astrios Polis, which a very different style, but just a master artist. So shocks me that you didn't enjoy the art here. No, I, I didn't have a real problem with it. I just never could get into it. I like when I looked at the cover gallery, I liked the cover art a lot, but the in-page art just seemed very, yeah, middle of the road is where I'd put it. And so the action scenes never came off as great. I did like seeing Batman use his intelligence when he's outnumbered because he starts off trying to be all brute strength and he goes to intelligence. I think it's very well written. I just didn't think it was very well drawn, comparatively. But it's of the time, is what I'm saying. Is It's nothing against this. It's just of that time and of the limitations you're discussing, yeah, this is what you get. But then, at the end of it, we get another big fight. It's the final showdown where Gordon's baby son has been kidnapped. This ending shocks me. Batman doesn't show up. Like, there's this whole plot, they're going to kidnap Gordon's baby son, James Gordon Jr., because he's, Gordon is cleaning up crime. He's had cops thrown in jail. He's had the commissioner busted. So they're going to kidnap his son to get revenge. And Bruce Wayne shows up on a motorcycle and gets shot by Gordon's wife because she thinks he's a criminal to kidnap the baby. And then he just dives off a bridge to, you know, the baby gets dropped off this bridge. He dives, catches it, saves its life. And he shakes hands with Gordon. Gordon doesn't have his glasses. He's like, who are you? I can't really see you. But there's no Batman at the end of this, and it shocks me, like, you don't expect that. Like, this is Batman year one. You expect Batman doing something grand, but no, it's Bruce Wayne in a motorcycle jacket catching a baby and shaking hands with soon-to-be Commissioner Gordon. Now, I wondered, with that glasses comment where he says he doesn't see so well, if he's telling a convenient lie, because throughout, I was shocked. His girlfriend, Sarah pretty much had it pegged. She's the smartest cop out there. She's like, whoever Batman is has a lot of expendable money to build all these toys. Who has this much money? Bruce Wayne. Hey, Bruce Wayne's parents were killed. He has motive for wanting to stop crime. So she really suspects Bruce, which is why he has to have all these great alibis and everything. And even with the alibis, she still suspects and she's cluing Gordon in. And so at the end where Batman is unmasked, but Gordon doesn't have his glasses. He goes, I can't see you. I take that as very ambiguous. Gordon may know and just choose to not know. Yeah, and it could be a nod saying, hey, I'm, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. I don't know who you are. We're friends. I'm going to let you get away with this. We're going to be allies in this war against crime. But no, it was not what you expect at the end of a Batman comic. I think it shows that Miller, like me, was far more invested in the Gordon storyline. It's Commissioner Gordon meets Batman year one. And I do like that it's called year one, and it is a year. There are dates that show passages of time throughout. I expected year one to be kind of symbolic, but no, this was his year. Both of their years. Year one is a popular thing to do now. I don't know if this was the first year one. If it wasn't, it was the most popular one. It started the trend. And I've read other, they did a Green Arrow year one. That 
takes place over a couple of weeks. I'm like, this is a ripoff. This is week one, not year one. So yeah, I like that this covers the whole year. You get this passage of time, you know, you see Bruce Wayne, he's coming back from all his studies. And then you see him, you know, just dressing up, like you said, with a scar and fighting crime, then adopts this suit as a bat. And, and again, very compressed. Four issues, we get a whole year and rebuilt this entire world for Gotham, for Batman, for the police department, even for Catwoman, even though I don't think that storyline pays off, but you've got a lot in here. Now, the whole reason I read year one, Jacob, is because when we were doing our Mask of the Phantasm review, you were talking about how it had these elements from year one and year two. I was really surprised how little of Mask of the Phantasm I saw in this coming at it backwards. Yeah, I mean, it was really just showing Batman or Bruce Wayne before he put on the outfit saying, I need a, something to scare them. It didn't have too much. There wasn't the whole Commissioner Gordon story in Mask of the Phantasm. Year two, they, they basically take this costume for the Reaper and kind of adapt it. Not a whole lot, you know, but there's definitely there. If you know the stories, you definitely see the nods. But I guess they did make an animated version of year one direct to DVD not too long ago. Have you seen that one? You know, I actually have it sitting around. I've watched some of it. I haven't got through it, which is weird because of how much I love Year One. I've watched some of these DC direct-to-video, direct-to-the-home market, whatever you want to call them, movies. Some of them are so good, some of them not so great. I think it is a great way to get some of these stories that I don't think are quite adaptable for the mass audiences out there. And I'm going to have to eat my own words a little bit. The last podcast, I said, there's no way they'd ever adapt The Dark Knight Returns to be a film. Well, they just announced they're going to release it as a two-part straight-to-the-direct-market movie. So they are getting it out there in some form. That actually intrigues me more than year one. Year one, I don't think there's quite the edge to it that The Dark Knight Returns has. So I'm really excited to see how they adapt that story. So Jacob, do you recommend Batman Year One? Artistically speaking, I think this is a more beautiful looking book than Dark Knight Returns. I, I think it's gorgeous just to, to look at the panels. I think it's well written. Again, it's an early Miller before. I, I think he's kind of become a parody of himself. But when you get the hard-boiled narration here, Father, I shall become a bat. It's in the Batman universe. I could still go with it. There's a great police drama in this story. With Commissioner Gordon. The only weak thread, I think, is the Catwoman one. I don't think there's any payoff for it. I don't think it really goes anywhere. I think they've even written Catwoman off as being a prostitute in DC continuity. She was like undercover and pretending to be a prostitute to learn martial arts or something. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to be a ninja, so I'll hook. Yes. Got it. It's comic book, folks. But I really enjoy Batman Year One. Time and time again, this is ranked as the number one Batman story, even above Dark Knight Rises. And I'm not going to disagree with that ranking. I, I think it's a stronger story. It it's more grounded in reality as much as you could ground a guy who dresses as a bat into reality. Uh, it's very strong recommend for me for Batman Year One. And I agree, but I don't know that it's going to have what someone wanting a Batman comic would want. I think that I read this in the right order. I read these comics that we're reviewing chronologically. So I read The Dark Knight Strikes Again last. And the first one I read was The Dark Knight Returns. I still think if you want a Batman story, The Dark Knight Returns gives you more of what you'd want, especially as a newbie. Coming to this, being my second one, I had a great Batman story with The Dark Knight Returns. This is a good Batman story, a great 
Commissioner Gordon's story, which I never would have expected, and yeah, a really weak Catwoman story. I really recommend it, but I suggest you know what you're getting into. Yeah, I guess if you just want a superhero story, you're right. Dark Knight Returns is the better superhero story. But I think as far as just stories go, if you want a story about a person who decides to fight crime through questionable means and needs to make allies with the cops, you know, really kind of stripping that superhero thing from it, if you're just doing like a vigilante story that you want, I think your one is the better comic. I would agree with that, although I do feel that there are just these hints of the writer Miller would become by having Gordon cheat on his wife. It's like, I don't know, it feels ugly to me in a comic that had, up until he cheats on his wife, been devoid of ugliness. It's never foreshadowed, it's never alluded to, I mean, his romance is, but the fact that he is a man who would cheat seems to come out of left field, especially given that this is one year. It is all happening while his wife is going from almost pregnant to pregnant. It just, it aided the story in certain ways. I like that it added the reality, but by the same token, it just was a little uglier than the rest of the comic. Even uglier than Selena Kyle, hooker for hire. And so, I was really excited leaving year one. I went and read year two right away it was supposed to be done concurrently i guess we mentioned there were batman comics and detective comics i guess these two were supposed to go back to back i didn't know until i opened the comic it wasn't a frank miller comic year two has a reputation and i knew it wasn't miller it's mike barr who wrote comics for a while his biggest thing was probably batman son of the demon which is actually a pretty good story it was for at one point considered kind of an Elseworlds where Batman hooks up with Talia al Ghul, the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, and has a kid with her, he goes off against Ra's al Ghul. We'll talk about him when we get to Nolan's films. Until Grant Morrison in like 2005, 2006 decided, yeah, that's in continuity. Batman has a son now. Read all about him. Damian Wayne, the new Robin. I actually kind of like him. Uh, the son of a Batman and a killer ninja assassin. <laughs> but that was probably, and that probably still is, his biggest story but man just like dark knight strikes again is a mess this series this year two has problems it is not good and maybe i'll have to see your take on it maybe it's because i am more steeped in batman continuity see what i read in the forward this one i had the trade paperback for and the author said at the beginning that Frank Miller's Batman Year One was an attempt to write a new Batman origin story. And with Year Two, Barr decided that not everything from the previous Batman origins needed to be thrown out, so let's try to resurrect that. And so I kind of felt this would be a continuation of the Year One, a continuation of the origin. But in fact, I was shocked to find that it feels just like a very rote series of comics. It doesn't feel epic like year one and like dark knight returns and even the abysmal dark knight strikes again all had a feeling of import the battles that were fought felt big or at least important in the case of year one here batman is fighting the reaper who must be a huge blue oyster cult fan as every time he shows up you'll fear the reaper i laughed the first time that I read it, but after like 70 times of reading <laughs> Fear the Reaper, it got really old. It did. Like, it was a great one-time joke, but no. That's his tagline. 
And the Reaper, you know, you talked about Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, kind of looks like the Phantasm. Has a, he has two sickles for hands instead of just one. But I was really thinking that this was directly from Mask of the Phantasm, because as we discussed there, Bruce Wayne has a girlfriend who is the Phantasm, and here he has a girlfriend again, and the Reaper shows up. I'm like, ah, it's the girlfriend. It's just like Mask of the Phantasm, but no, they fooled me. It's the girlfriend's father. Yeah, we're supposed to believe that the Reaper was like a Batman before Batman was around. Like, he was active cleaning up the streets when Batman's parents were killed or like five years before his parents were killed and then just disappeared and shows up because crime has gotten bad again 25 years later. (laughs) But he's a homicidal Batman willing to kill, so of course Batman wants to stop him. And there are some good fights, but again, it doesn't feel important. The only portion of this entire story that feels important is that Bruce Wayne may get married to Rachel Caspian, who is going to be a nun, because they have a lot in common. Bruce's parents were killed by crime in Gotham. Her mother was killed by crime in Gotham. He became a bat. She's becoming a penguin. Yeah, I I don't understand this whole nun bride storyline. It doesn't go anywhere for me. I'm not interested. What we're supposed to really be interested in is the big cliffhanger at the end of issue one. That Batman just got his butt handed to him by the Reaper, almost died, so Batman's gonna use a gun. And not just any gun. He has the gun that was used to murder his parents. And it's not like in a safe or in a trophy case. The gun that murdered his parents that he somehow got is just sitting in a drawer. This is bad, people. This is not good. This doesn't even make sense. It's a secret compartment, if that helps. No, it doesn't. Not in the least. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of logic questions. How did he get the gun? It's supposed to be big for people like you, Jacob, who are like, Batman doesn't use guns, that Batman may use a gun and may choose to kill. I don't really feel like it went anywhere either. He doesn't do it. He ends up throwing the gun away. That didn't interest me that much either. Again, it just, at no point did this comic give me the sense that it was going to go there, that it was really going to have Batman break that rule. We went there with The Dark Knight Returns, and I thought Batman may kill Joker. Here, the way it's written is so fluffy that I never really get that that could happen. It's ridiculous. He's running around with a gun holster. At one point, he shoots a gun out of Commissioner Gordon's hand. But what's even more insane, the Batman running around with the gun that murdered his parents. And I don't know if this meant anything to you, Arnie, but he teams up with Joe Chill, who was the man who murdered his parents. That I really dislike because it felt unnecessary. He wants to work with the mobsters who the Reaper is going after to stop him. And that's a cliche that we've talked about so many times. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the Reaper being the bigger bad, he's going to work with the mobsters. The fact that he's working with Joe Chill, who 20 years ago or more killed his parents, is still just running around as a thug. And then the two of them both have designs on each other. He wants to kill Joe Chill. And Joe Chill is planning to kill Batman, both after the Reaper is taken care of. Again, 
overdone. Even by the time this came out in 87, I think. I'd been reading that story since the 60s. The alliance of convenience that is going to break down the moment it has no use. Yeah, I mean, if it was well-written, maybe I could go along with it, even if it is a cliché. I'm always willing to go with a cliché if they're able to pull it off well, but this series is so rote. There's nothing that keeps my interest. It doesn't seem like, like you said, Arnie, it doesn't seem like year two. Where's the continuation of Batman and Gordon's relationship? I guess we're supposed to be shocked because now they're put at odds in this one and they're fighting against each other. Oh, I hated that too. And that's because Batman goes to Gordon and goes, I'm going to do things and you're going to hate me and you're going to hunt me, but understand I'm doing the right thing. And then Gordon forgets that entire conversation. It's like, Batman's a criminal. We gotta get him. It's like, dude, seriously? Yeah, this seems like a series that could have come out in any time in Batman continuity. There's nothing that screams year two to me. That This doesn't even seem like an early Batman, except that he gets his butt kicked by some ancient vigilante that dresses up in leather. Like, Batman can't fight a dude with knives? Well, at this point, yeah, maybe he couldn't. But... I'm not going to say this is bad. Nothing in here strikes me as bad. It just struck me as very average. Like, all the comics I would read from the 80s, all the Hulk comics, all the Spider-Man comics, the stuff that was just your standard superhero fare, there's a villain that's going to last a handful of issues, there's going to be something going on, and in the end, the hero's going to triumph. That's what this felt like to me, and at no point... Did I get what I really wanted when I started, which was a continuation of some of the stuff from year one? Commissioner Gordon, such a star of year one, barely here. He hunts Batman, but again, at no point did it have the weight to make me think anything was going to come with that. One question, there's another character who's pretty major in this. Leslie, the social worker who helped Bruce Wayne after his parents died who knows his identity as Batman. I've never heard of this character. Is she someone? That's right. I totally forgot about this character until you mentioned it. I was confused by her. T- I'm sorry, like, she knows. This entire story has been written out of DC continuity. This story never happened. The characters are gone. Leslie doesn't exist anymore. They've moved on. Okay, then. Now, during the run of year two, the artist changed and became an artist with whom I'm very, very familiar, which is rare for me not being the comic guy, Todd McFarlane. You know, I saw some panels, and I'm like, something's different with the art here, and this looks familiar. There's a panel where Batman, he's got spiky shoulder pads or something, they come up to these weird points, I'm like, that is Todd McFarlane all the way, I've read enough Spawn comics to know who this artist is. My thing about Todd McFarlane is I love his costumed characters, and what he did with the Reaper actually improved the character. The dialogue was still as crappy, but I liked the Reaper and Batman better with McFarlane drawing them. What I've never liked about McFarlane, though, is his human faces. They all seem to have these scrunched up pig noses and... He's a little over-exuberant with his line work, so, I mean, I love it when he drew Spider-Man, I love it when he drew Hulk and Spawn, but Peter Parker and Bruce Banner and here Bruce Wayne and Commissioner Gordon, I'm not a fan of those drawings. It's just, he makes every single person look really ugly. Todd McFarlane, he's someone I've moved on from. He was huge in the 90s with the Spider-Man and then moving on to Image and helping create that with Spawn. That stuff was really cool when I was a kid. It's not as sophisticated as as I like now. You know, I talked about how I like 
Frank Miller's work with Die Hard Returns. I love Mazzuccelli's work with Year One. This stuff, it's a little too comic booky for me, but I guess this story in Year Two is more comic booky. It doesn't have the grit and the real life drama that I felt Year One has. So, would you recommend Year Two? Look, if you're really into fan fiction and you really want to read someone's made up story about Batman using the gun that killed his parents and teaming up with the murderer that killed his parents, then yeah, read the hell out of this series. But no, this is bad. <laughs> I hated this. And perhaps because I don't have that attachment to Batman that you have, and perhaps because every single Batman comic I've read, other than Batman versus Predator, I've reviewed here on Books and Nachos, so you can count them on one hand, folks. I just don't have that big of a problem with it. It doesn't come across as bad fanfic to me. It just comes across as average 80s comics. So if you're a Batman fan who's like, I'm going to go purchase every trade paperback and read Batman from the 40s to now, I don't think this will be one of your low points. I don't think this will be one of your high points. I think when you get to issue 579 of Detective Comics, you'll have very much forgotten issues 575 to 578. But I don't think it's not recommendable. It's just average. It's just there. I didn't mind reading it. I didn't have any strong memories. So for Batman fans, but Jacob, you are a Batman fan. So yeah, I'm saying no if you're a Batman fan. Maybe Batman fans will be far more offended than I. Well, Jacob, thank you for joining me again. We have one more Batman podcast to do. When we review the seminal The Killing Joke by Alan Moore. So we'll be back with that next week. In the meantime, Stuart will be back again looking at War of the Worlds, the original H.G. Wells novel to tie into Now Playing's bonus series. You can find out all about that at nowplayingpodcast.com. So, Jacob, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And until next time, remember, support your local bookstore or comic shop. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at potsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.